Well, if you think about the modern Christian landscape, especially in America, there seems to be an, almost an infatuation with the end times. This is especially in certain circles of, uh, of, of churches in, in America where there's a lot of focus on the particulars of how the end is going to come about. Uh, over the last few years, there seems to be an even heightened focus on, on what do the signs look like? What, what will it look like when Jesus returns? How will this go all down? Particularly, when is this all going to happen? Throughout history, there's been many who have tried to guess when this has happened. Don't do that. Uh, it doesn't go well. It hasn't gone well for anyone in the past. But there still is this kind of infatuation with when is it going to happen. In fact, in preparing for uh, this message this week, I found an interesting website called raptureready.com. Um, perhaps you are aware of this one. I, I, I hope not. But, but anyway, on, on the website, they have what they call a rapture index in which uh, the curators of this site consider what's going on in society, what's going on in the world, and assign a number to indicate current prophetic activity. Um, it's a pretty sophisticated uh, system, um, and, and they call it somewhat of a prophetic speedometer. The higher the number, the faster we are moving towards the end. So I know what you're all wondering, what's the current number? Well, I'll, I'll let you know. So uh, 100 and below indicates fairly low prophetic activity. 100 to, three, or, uh, 100 to 130 is moderate activity. 130 to 160, heavy activity. Anything over 160 means, quote, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> the current rapture index is 187. So I suppose fasten uh, your, your seat belts. Well, perhaps you don't have raptureready.com on your home screen, but I think there is a way in which we all long for the end. And I, and I do think this longing is a good and godly thing. The world around us is crazy. <laughs> And there is a good longing that Jesus would come and bring about justice, to put an end to all that is wrong in the world. I think in our nation, particularly at this time in history, it, it does seem in some ways that our world is becoming more and more unfriendly to biblical truth. And so I think for us, there is a, a real longing, Lord Jesus, come. And I do think that that's a good and godly thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that even creation is groaning for this day in which Christ comes and restores all things. Well, it so happens that we at this point in history are not the only group that is interested in the end times. In fact, when Jesus comes in the flesh, he comes to a group of people that are very interested in the end, specifically concerned with what this Messiah will look like and what he will bring about, namely judgment, judgment on all those that are outside of the house of Israel. 
a time when Israel will finally be restored to its promised glory. When when their enemies will be destroyed. When a time of righteousness will come about. The nation of Israel at this point had long endured the uncleanliness of the Gentiles and are currently found under the thumb of the Romans, uh, a, a tyrannical government that is, they're, they're not overly happy with. And they're hopeful, hopeful that this will come to an end and that the coming Messiah would bring about a powerful kingdom that would put the people of God on top. And that all unrighteousness would be destroyed. But the problem comes is when Jesus comes on the scene, he does announce this great kingdom of heaven. He does have things to say about the end. But people are confused. If this is even the real Messiah, he does not seem overly hurried to bring these things about. Why is that? And I think it's some of that confusion, at least in part, that Jesus is addressing for us this morning and addressing for his original audience as he tells this parable. Why isn't he doing this kingdom work in the ways that people would expect? Why isn't he bringing about this powerful kingdom in the ways that we would bring it about? Well, Jesus answers these questions by giving two certain realities. And it's these realities that I want to consider in our time this morning. First, that there is a coming judgment. We see that clearly in our passage, where the Son of Man will come and put an end to all that is evil. He will punish unrighteousness. He will vindicate the righteous. This is a certain reality. But the second reality is that he seems in no rush to do it. So it's these two realities that I want to consider in our time together. So first, let's consider the pending judgment. Jesus begins by telling of a man who sowed good seed in a field. And as with a few of the parables, we get the benefit of having a key from Jesus himself, which he gives to his disciples in private. If you look down at verse 36, we, we can, he tells what these images mean. And he explains that the Son of Man, this title that is common in the prophetic writings, including the book of Daniel, which we referenced already this morning, is the sower. It is, it is Jesus who is sowing good seed into his field. The field, Jesus explains, is the world. The seed, the good seed, and its subsequent growth represents the sons of the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom of God. A good Jew hearing this would relate. They would know where they land in the parable. They would be a good seed. This would heighten their expectation in many ways. But we quickly run into a problem in the parable. It seems an enemy has come into the field as the servants of the master are sleeping. And the enemy begins sowing what the ESV reads as weeds. 
Now, it, it would seem that this is specifically referring to a plant called uh, darnel, which is a poisonous plant that was fairly prolific in the agriculture of Jesus' time. And what's interesting about this particular plant is it looks a lot like underaged wheat. Before, a, before wheat would flower, it was very difficult to tell what was wheat and what was weed. And we see the passage itself confirms this. It says that it wasn't until the wheat was near ready to be harvested that the servants noticed that something was awry. Uh, No uh, pun intended. That was deep cut. I appreciate you guys. So the servants of the master come to him with an accusatory tone, don't they? They say, did you not sow good seed? Why is it then that all of these weeds are, are sprouting up? The presence of this darnel, the presence of these weeds would be concerning for anyone who knows what wheat farming is supposed to look like. Specifically, this species of plant was was poisonous and would end up entangling itself with the root system of wheat and having an enormous impact on the ultimate yield. So a good farmer would rightly be concerned about these weeds, would want to get rid of them. But there's a continued concern, which which we'll see from Jesus in a moment. Well, as Jesus continues to explain what this parable means, he says that these weeds, this, this darnel, represents the sons of the evil one. All causes of sin and law breaking. Well, as we think about the agricultural analogy, doesn't doesn't it fit? That evil in the world, we often fear, and we we see this, that it often seems to snuff out that which is good. It seems often that evil destroys everything that it comes in contact with. I mean, Paul himself picks up on this in 1 Corinthians. He says that bad company ruins good morals. That evil in the world has an effect on us. And, And that rightly scares us. It scares us as we look at the world now. It scares us for our kids. It scares us for ourselves. We'll be able to persevere in a world like this that seems so antithetical to so much of what God tells us in his word. What will it be like to grow up in a society with so much evil? Will our faith endure chaotic times when so much out there seems to be against what is good and true and beautiful? Well, in Jesus' explanation of the parable, he, he does say that he, he's going to bring an end to these things. He's going to rid this world of all that is evil. And this will come in the final judgment. Verse 39, as he explains the parable, says, The harvest represents the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age for all those purveyors of unrighteousness, for all those who are evil. Jesus will send out his own reapers, the the angels in this case, to do this great work at the end of time. 
And at that time, the Son of Man will separate the weeds from the wheat. Now, whatever end times expectation may have been in the air to Jesus' listener, there's a few things that Jesus says which would heighten these realities, that would exacerbate their feelings and perhaps their frustration about when is this end going to finally come. One, he calls himself the Son of Man, which any good Jew would say, hey, he's referring to Daniel. And this, this figure, the Son of Man and Daniel, has been given all authority to bring about God's will on earth, to bring about the righteous victory of the Lord for the people of God. But Jesus also mentions that this will be done by angels. The book of, angel, the book of Daniel speaks of this as well. We, we find this figure of, of Michael, the archangel, doing this work for the Lord. And then if there's any doubt that Jesus is trying to conjure up these images from Daniel, he says something really interesting in his explanation, pulling from the very wording that we read from chapter 12 of Daniel this morning. He says that then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Which is an interesting thing to say, but it's not a direct citation, but pulling language from Daniel 12. As if to say, or to say, I am who Daniel is speaking of. And I'm here to bring about these realities that Daniel has prophesied. The end of times. Righteousness. Goodness in the world. And just as weeds are thrown into fire, so all causes of sin and all lawbreakers will be thrown into into the fiery furnace where we get weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're familiar with these biblical images of damnation. Images that would get a faithful Jew riled up for something that is to come. Yes, finally, an end to our wicked government. Finally, an end to oppression from the top. Finally, an end to this government that we, we don't agree with telling us what we should do in, in ways that we don't agree with. By, by the way, I'm talking about the first century. But the truth is some of these realities rile us up as well. And it's not just politics that we're frustrated. There is difficulty in this world. And we long for justice. We long for evil to come to an end. And this longing is good, and it is godly. But we run, in this text, along with the Jews, into another issue. That on the one hand, Jesus really seems to be claiming to be the guy that's going to bring all these things about. On the other hand, he seems to be in no hurry to do it. The parable itself shows this, verse 28. The servant of the master who is eager to do something about these weeds comes to the master and says the obvious thing. Do you want me to take care of this? Do you want me to gather up the weeds? And the master replies emphatically, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. 
we had uh, some friends from L.A. in town last week, and they were remarking uh, about how green my lawn is and how green Temecula is. I was just telling them that's what plants uh, look like. Uh, they weren't used to that. And, and the beauty of artificial irrigation uh, systems. But, but had they looked closely at my lawn, though green, it's mostly weeds. Uh, my, my dad said growing up, if it's green, let it grow. Um, and I know what you're thinking, Christian, you should really take care of those weeds, but I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is we're not good sometimes at a distance when our perspective is off at telling what the difference between good grass and weeds are. But that doesn't just apply to our view of a lawn. We are not always good at telling what is good and what is bad. Our perspective is often very skewed. We have a hard time distinguishing good from evil. We look at the world and like this eager servant want to jump in with force and do something about it. Let's, let's get rid of this evil. And like I've said before, this is not a bad impulse. I think it, it shows something of the image of God within us, wanting to rid the world of evil. But though our impulses are often right, our vision is often very off. Our perspective is often nearsighted. What so often looks like weeds to us might actually be wheat not yet sprouted. So first we have this reality of, of pending judgment. Secondly, we have a reality of a patient Savior. The servant of the master comes to him and offers to take care of the weeds, to bind them up, to get rid of them. And rightly so, this, this servant seems to be a wise farmer. He wants to maximize the yield and so wants to get rid of these weeds that would affect the harvest. They don't want evil choking out what is good. And as we've seen, he says, do you want me to take care of them? And, and, and the master says, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat. This is interesting, isn't it? These servants are very concerned about the weeds, as we are so often concerned about the weeds in our own time. But they're so concerned about the weeds that they run the risk of calling what God sees as good, evil. They run the risk of wrongly identifying what they are seeking to get rid of. Think of this in a Jewish context as this parable comes to Jewish ears. At this moment in history, the Jews would think themselves the good seed. And what would bad seed look like? What would weeds look like? It would look like Gentiles, wouldn't it? All of these weeds that are overtaking their land. Their culture is infiltrating their peoples. People that we see constantly in the Gospels. And these people, the, the Jews, because of their national heritage, because of their affiliations, would see themselves as 
the wheat, but in their desire to root out evil in the world, they would have likely rooted out all of these Gentiles. Gentiles who God himself had come in the flesh to save, to die for, even as they still looked a lot like weeds. When we think about discerning what is evil in the world, I I think that what we're generally most concerned about is that we won't get rid of it all. We we might leave some weeds. (laughs) But it is interesting that for Jesus... His concern is that our lack, in our lack of discernment, that we'll root out something that he desires. Something that he loves because we see it as bad. And perhaps it looks bad at this moment. But again, Jesus is patient. He doesn't seem worried that the weeds will overcome the wheat. He's worried that if we start spraying Roundup, we might take out something that looks like a weed, but is actually a beloved grain not yet in flower. We, we do like to decide what is good and evil. We like to label the winners and the losers. And we have our own metrics for, for doing this. Sometimes it's as simple as how people look, how they behave, how they vote, what they watch, what they listen to. But Jesus loves to take something that looks ugly and make it beautiful, doesn't he? And because he is patient, because he is kind, because he is long-suffering, this is exactly what he does. He is able to say to this servant, let the wheat and the weeds grow until the harvest. And in the case of this moment in history, as Jesus is telling this parable, Jesus has in mind the coming reality that the gospel will be opened up to the ends of the earth. (laughs) An earth that looks (laughs) weed-filled. But in Jesus' perspective, he sees sheep. He sees many of his own that he is not willing to lose. People from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Jesus is not done yet at this point in history. And that is good news. It is good news that people like us don't pick the winners and the losers. But it is good news that God in eternity past chose who would be wheat, who would be weed. And that he is patient to see his wheat harvest. This is good news for us because we once looked like weeds and Jesus was patient unto us. Second Peter 3, Peter is writing of the final judgment to come and his, his readers are obviously anxious about What's going to go down in the end times? Have they missed out on, on something? And, 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 and it seems like people are saying, is this, is this Christ even returning? And so they're saying, what's, what's going on? What's taking so long? And Peter writes this. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter will go on to counsel his anxious reader, count the patience of your Lord as salvation. Jesus is patient. He is awaiting the full number of his elects to come to a time of harvest. He is fully aware of the final judgment. It is a real reality that he is aware of that he will bring about. But his primary concern right now in this age is that none of his would be lost. He is now awaiting the salvation of some we know. Sovereignly awaiting. (laughs) How that works, I'm not sure. (laughs) But he's also wise. He's awaiting the salvation of some that we are now praying for. Some who might be our children or our parents or people who haven't even been born yet. And Jesus is willing to wait. He's willing to wait. And that is good news, not only for those individuals, but for us, because he was willing to wait for you. To look upon the injustices of all of history, to wait for you to come and be saved. It's the patience of our Lord. And you did not always look like wheat. For many of us, we can point at times in our lives before we knew Christ where we were certainly weeds. And if someone were to come along and begin to the harvest, we would have been plucked up. We would have been cast aside. But the master was patient with us, willing to wait that we might not perish, but that we would shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Because God is in the business of taking what is ugly and foolish and dirty and weed-like and making it harvest. Sovereignly and patiently. So what do we do now? (laughs) In a world that is difficult. (laughs) In a world that has some things that we are probably rightly scared of. (laughs) We trust we, we trust that Jesus is continuing to act patiently. Even as this world crashes and burns. But as one of my favorite new songwriters recently wrote, baby, it's always been the end of the world. And isn't that true? It's always been the end. And it will always be the end until the end comes. But his eye is upon you. And he will by no means lose any that he gave his life for. And even in the face of difficulty, God promises us that all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if you ever doubt that, that God is able to work all things for the good, simply gaze at the cross the greatest injustice in human history where where one who was without sin was crucified 
for the sins of others. Where one who was blameless was numbered amongst, amongst the transgressors. Look to that cross and know that God has worked and planned from eternity. That evil and its ugliness and its foolishness and its shame to be your salvation. To the point now that we can look at this Roman instrument of death and torture and see a symbol of life and salvation. Look to the cross. Because God is in the business of taking what is ugly and foolish and dirty and weed-like and making it beautiful. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. There will be weeds. The reality is, is real. But, but take heart through death and resurrection. I have overcome the world. And in the face of evil, know that he who started a good work in you, he'll be faithful and patient to complete it. And not only for you, but for the full number of his elect. And if he was willing to wait, he will by no means cast us aside. Amen? Let's pray together.